everybody, and welcome to another episode of Natter the Zillennial Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and we are joined today by Josephine Junis Grant, who is uh, going to be talking about some really cool, different stuff that we have not visited before. Hey, Josephine, how are you doing? Hey, I'm really good. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, what will we be talking about today? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a... Uh new farmer, I guess. So I'm just getting into farming. So I'd love to talk about that today. And also about the arts, because I'm also a musician and artist. And so let's talk about how I'm trying to incorporate that into uh, a farming career as well and keep keep the uh, arts alive for myself while I'm jumping into another big endeavor. Ah, that's so exciting. How did you get into farming? Uh, so my parents were actually beekeepers. Um, so I was born cool. on a farm, but we moved to the big city when I was uh, five years old. So I've always had growing food and uh, being out in nature is a big part of my life, but it just hasn't been um, as much as it was when I was little. So I ended up being a part of the uh, Young Agrarians this last summer, and I did an apprenticeship with them where I moved out to a farm, and I figured out that I liked it so much that I liked to do it for maybe a very long time. So that's kind of where I'm at now. That's amazing. So when you, how old were you when you moved from the first farm into the city? I was about five. Five years old. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been like a bit of a shock, hey? Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, um, like... People often don't believe me when I say that I have memories from the farm, (laughs) but like, I think just because it was so different, there are things that have stuck with me for my, my whole life, like just flashes of things from when I was even like three years old. So yeah, I think it had a really big, big impact on me and I'm, I'm really thankful to have grown up in the city, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's given me um, opportunities to be in the arts and have a really uh, like strong education in music and a great community to get to to play music with growing up. So, and that wouldn't have been nearly as as possible in a, a rural setting. Right, you would have been surrounded by completely different things and maybe done different things. I totally, suppose. yeah, it would have been probably lots of other interesting things. But I, I just I don't know what my life would would be like if I was still there. Because mm-hmm. it was interesting as well, because the farm that I, I was on for the apprenticeship was uh, half an hour north or half an hour south of my parents' old farm on the same range oh. road, which is pretty wild to be uh, coming back so close to, to my old home. Yeah, no kidding. Can you tell us about um, the apprenticeship? How did you find out about it and uh, what led you to it from the city? Uh, yeah. So the apprenticeship, I had actually, uh, taken part in a first generation farmers conference the year before, just cause, uh, my partner Colin and I were just like starting to think about, um, farming cause we have a, a big garden already. We just like mm-hmm. love growing food and sharing it with people. It's like a very central thing for us in, in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to this first generation farmers conference, um, yeah, hosted by young agrarians and it just kind of like struck me as a really interesting community and I didn't know how it was going to 
um, play into my future. But I ended up doing a couple of farm tours after that, just through people that I had met. And then I, I didn't think it was going to be possible to do the apprenticeship program, um, mm-hmm. just because of, you know, it's it's hard to move out <laughs> out to the middle of of nowhere for a long yeah. time away from friends and family and everything else. But um, actually, when when the pandemic hit, I lost my job, and um, so I was like, well, what what the heck else am I going to do? <laughs> And uh, amazingly, the farm that I had really wanted to be on, they uh, were still available, even though the deadline had passed. And uh, yeah, so I ended up getting to go and spend spend a whole six months with them uh, at the homestead near Goodfair, Alberta. And now I'm actually moving back for this next summer. So we're in the throes of, of moving right now. That's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like it all worked out perfectly for you. It all did. Sometimes it's just how it goes. This is this is the way of things, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of got to take it as it comes. Like, oh, opportunity. Guess I'll do this, I guess. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, how, how else are you going to get anything done? That's <laughs> <laughs> <Planning>? so true. <laughs> no, plans never work out. You cannot plan out your life. It does not work out well that way. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned that you kind of did have a bit of like, oh, I'm giving up um not necessarily giving up but what am I going to be missing if I like leave the city because you had your whole music education and you've been making music making other kinds of art um was that a really big fear or was it more just kind of like the unknown yeah I think it's primarily the unknown just like I I've moved away from Edmonton before and I found it uh challenging to build community and just like came to the realization when I left that what I had here was really valuable mm-hmm. and really hard to build. And just that it's right. not that it's impossible. It's just that it takes a long time. And it's hard for me to imagine a place that is more important or more that provides something that is um, more important to me than the community that I have here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the pandemic actually made that easier as well. Yeah. Because it's just like, like it's all temporary and I can't see anybody or do anything anyways. So it's like a pretty safe, um, leap to take. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the thing that we realize is that we can, can always come back to, like, even though we're going up for another year or two, um, we can always come back and we know that people will be here still and that our communities will still be here. Um, but yeah, it is it it is like a a scary thing still to to leave that because it, it means a lot. Yeah, totally. And I think that's the the hardest thing for a lot of city folk to try to understand <laughs> is that like the community is the, is the biggest thing that um, you miss when you leave anywhere. I not originally from Edmonton. I also had to move away from my home community to go to school and get my education. So mm-hmm. as a result, I know how hard it is to build things, but oh. I would definitely be more scared moving out to a rural place to try yeah, to do totally. the same thing. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, I can imagine like, yeah, moving that it's always, I, I think it's hard to start over whatever, whatever that means. Um, yeah, in this case, at least it's a little easier as well because 
it's I, I still do have ties to to mm-hmm. that particular rural community from from my family. I've got some good friends there, and like the the folks at uh, at the homestead are just like incredible. They're great to learn from. Like great friends now, mm-hmm. and so that makes it a little easier because they also have a really really strong community. So I just kind of was absorbed by that. And so I, yeah. I feel very at home there. Like for Absolutely. instance, when I went to leave, <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. Um, it was Halloween. And so everyone who was on the farm, there are usually like 10 to 15 people living there at any one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone dressed up as me for Halloween, and they all had oh name God. tags. They did creepy Facebook research and figured out all of the things that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> and they all had name tags with, like, different jobs and hobbies that I have. And it was uh, scary, <laughs> but really lovely, too. <laughs> I was like, wow, That's I do amazing. have a community here. <laughs> so even if you left forever, you would be stamped onto their brains, yeah. too. <laughs> It was amazing. Bizarre. Um, but I felt very loved. And so like I know it's possible to have, have community anywhere. But... <laughs> yeah, Are they really weird. your people if they're not completely obsessed with you? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it's great. So I I'm excited to go back and, and try to try That's to do so it again. Good. Yeah. Well, apart from um, loving you maybe a creepy amount, what was a, a typical day like during your apprenticeship? What were the main things you were learning and interested in? Yeah, so uh, we, the farm that I was on, they have uh, everything under the sun there. Um, they have a big market garden, uh, cattle, pigs, uh, chickens, both laying hens and meat birds, and bison. Ooh, that I was forgetting something. I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> the bison. <laughs> um, yeah, which just it means that there's just like so much to do always. That mm-hmm. uh, there's really no such thing as as a typical day. And this is kind of what has attracted me to farming so much, and just makes it really fun and interesting, and also challenging. So uh, we would, uh, first thing in the morning, always have chores. Those are always the same. Got to go feed the chickens, feed the pigs. There's a milk cow too. Got to go milk the cow. Oh. Um, but then beyond that, like half an hour of, of chores, you, you just never really know what you're going to be doing. Sometimes it's weeding or planting the garden. Sometimes you got to go... Uh, move the cows because we do uh, rotational grazing on the farm, which means okay. that you're helping to uh, rejuvenate the pasture and just like feed the, the cattle well um, by mm-hmm. moving them using temporary fencing just over the course of uh, a couple of days. They'll be in one spot at a time. And so you got to do things like that. I don't know. There's just got to fix things. I, I discovered that I love fixing things, which is, it was a little unexpected, like something yeah. breaks and I'd be like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> New project. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they were just like really, really open to, they gave me so much responsibility and were really open to me just like 
trying stuff that I was horribly underqualified to do, which just, it was, it was really, really great for that. Yeah. What were the, the most surprising skills that you had to learn or the most challenging ones? Um, most challenging moving cattle. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you have to, the way that they do it as well is called a uh, low stress livestock handling. So there's no, uh, contact with the animals at all. Um, and preferably you don't even like speak while you're doing it. You just are quiet and you just walk with them and you use their personal space and their like awareness of you to, to make them move. Um, and that's like, it's just like a, a skill where you have to get to learn the animals. And mm. I, I just, it just took time is all just getting to yeah. know, to know these animals. So that was like definitely one of the hardest things to learn. Yeah. So I also had a really cool opportunity to uh, go and learn a little bit from uh, Dylan Biggs at TK Ranch. And he's like just a, a master of low stress livestock handling and just seeing him do it makes me realize how much I have to learn, <laughs> <laughs> but also just that it's, it's like some really good practical skills to be able to, um, I don't know, move, move animals in a way that's like very low stress for everybody. It's just, yeah. it's just better. It takes a little longer, but I think that's something that I'm, I'm learning is that speed is, is usually not, necessary or the best could you walk us through how that's done step by step like moving the cattle yeah um, I'm guessing you're not just hopping in and freaking them out right yeah you're no I mean so we use electric fences on on the farm um and so the thing is like with the the cattle they they test them once and then they realize that they don't feel super great and then mm -hmm they could the fences often can even be off like you ideally want them to be on but they can even be off and they just won't even touch them yeah so we use these reels um which have uh like a temporary fencing that will conduct electricity mm -hmm. um, and so you set up a new one uh just past where the uh old one is set up that's holding them in and you just like run that along the whole length of the field and then you um, can take down the new one and let them in. Um, if you mm -hmm. have to move them farther, so that's like if you don't even, you don't even have to use low stress livestock handling for, for that one. Um, but if you have to move them farther, usually you want, uh, you can use just one person, but having mm -hmm. a few makes it a lot easier. Um, but essentially the idea is that you make a, imagine a T shape with the animal where you're like the short arm of the T and then it's the, the leg of the T. Um, okay. And so you can kind of like move it wherever you want to go. You just imagine moving that whole shape with you and the animals together. Okay. And they like to move as a group. So if you're trying to move one, it's, it's easier just to move a bunch. Mm -hmm. And they, they have like three zones of of their personal bubbles mm -hmm. and you just like move in and out of that bubble to get them to move where you want them to so they have a zone where they like acknowledge you so they'll just look up and be like oh hello <laughs> and they depending on how much uh cattle are worked with that zone can be bigger or smaller so the more you work with with cattle the smaller that zone will be and 
it's kind of it's kind of nice because you can tell if cattle have been worked more or less in this way because they mm-hmm. will react well or won't. Yeah. And so the next zone in will be the one that you move them with because they'll react to you and they'll be like, ah, no, dad, don't come close to me. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then the closest zone to them is one that you generally try to stay out of because they're still like animals that they just, they need their space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in that zone, you're probably going to get kicked. Yeah. Or they're just going to react in like an unpleasant way. So you just try to stay in that, that zone too if you're trying to move them. So right. it's pretty interesting. I, I never never even considered these things before this summer and I never considered really whether or not I wanted animals even like I Mm -hmm. have been vegetarian most of my life yeah (laughs) so being on a farm with animals was a a really interesting experience because it's just like causing me to question everything Mm -hmm. so it's it's just been it's been good yeah well that's so fascinating because I also I've never lived on a farm always wanted to uh just never happened because it? Uh, it doesn't happen for many people it's anymore. hard it's really yeah. hard we can talk about that later too like yeah, oh totally. my goodness it's hard to get a farm yeah and it's just it's fascinating that there are so many skills like this that are so important for getting all of the animal products or even just agrarian products we need for everyday life but most totally. people don't know where they come from people don't know these skills yeah um do the other animals on the farm require skills like that or are they just easier? Uh, they can be, it depends. Like pigs are, like we sometimes have to help, like the pigs are run uh, by uh, Donovan's father who also, uh, he actually, he owns owns the land that we're farming. Um, and we help him load them into trailers sometimes. And pigs are just like really smart and <laughs> really stubborn and they have a really low center of gravity yeah and they're just if they don't want to go somewhere <laughs> they're not going <laughs> no no so there's definitely skills involved in in getting getting pigs to go places but like chickens are like we use we use electric fencing for them as well um mm-hmm. and there's not really a whole lot you have to do there you have to move it occasionally which is more of a game of speed than it is of skill. <laughs> you just got to move it before they realize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and bison, though, I also don't, I don't really work with the bison much at all. That's also Jerry, but he has a very hands-off approach to bison because they're essentially wild animals. Yeah. He doesn't help them with calving, doesn't really give them much. Like he brings them, hey, make sure they have water, but like, Bison don't need a whole lot. They're they're hardy creatures. Yeah. And they're they're like meant meant to be here. So they're totally. well well adapted. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um so that's all the animal stuff. And you said there's also the garden stuff. Yeah, so uh the garden that that we were running um was I guess it's about an acre. Um, which like, it's hard for folks who maybe aren't aware of how big an acre is. It's as much as two people can physically do in a full-time job. Like, wow. Just if, if you were to work in the garden eight hours a day, that would be like the amount you could probably deal with. 
that's actually way bigger than I thought it was. It's, it's a lot. Like it's, it is, you look at it, you're like, wow, that's a lot of garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is a, like a, a big garden. Um, but so we use, um, no-till, um, farming practices for that, uh, which means, well, these ones are in raised beds. So it, they are, um, I guess, tilled once to be put into mm-hmm. these raised beds. But the whole idea is to maintain root structures and to maintain soil health so you're not uh, bringing up like weed seeds. You're not disturbing that uh, you're like fungal life and your bacterial life and all of the mm-hmm. things that that make soil a healthy, happy system because mm-hmm. Really something that I think is is undervalued is is the fact that farming pretty much all farmers at at the heart of it are are farming soil mm-hmm. and if you don't treat your soil well um, really bad things happen and unfortunately that's kind of like the route that uh, industrial agriculture has taken over the last um, well during the industrialized period yeah and so um yeah, the practices that that we're using uh, try to prevent that and just to keep keep uh, happy, healthy soil systems. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that means in the case of a market garden, like a lot of hand tools. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, more work, but uh, the if you keep at it. Uh, it can actually also reduce your your weed pressure again because you're not stirring up all of those weeds that are sitting uh, down in the soil. They can just like be hanging out in there dormant for for decades, and then when you go and till, you have a whole new host of of weeds that come up to the surface. Oh, I never even would have thought of that. Yeah, right. It's it's pretty nuts. So that's why whenever you break a new garden, things just go crazy. Yeah. So yeah, the less you can can turn soil over the better and yeah because we're uh we were close to grand prairie um there's like a really short growing season you get maybe yeah two months frost free that's very short oh my god very short so you just kind of like try to try to do the best you can we stick with pretty um straightforward crops just because there's not the time available Mm mm-hmm um, to, to grow much. Like we even, we didn't even get squash this year. We tried planting it and then it got frost killed and it's just, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's just, um, yeah. So, and this year was a really hard, hard year as well. There was, uh, a lot of rain. Uh, so if we didn't have the raised beds, it would have been like a complete flop. Yeah. Um, so we yeah. still got lots of good lettuce. The carrot harvest turned out great. We were harvesting carrots in the snow at the end of the season still. <laughs> and it just it's just it turned out better better than we expected, honestly. Might have been partially just that our expectations l- lowered over the course of the season. Yeah. But it it was still what I figure is that if if a really bad year is still pretty good for me in terms of like my morale and overall enjoyment of it, then I probably can do it. Yeah, it's still good. <laughs> yeah, it's still yeah, working. If, if a bad year is still okay, then good years are going to be great. <laughs> is there a lot of stress on, uh, like, during farm life about the weather? Or is it just something that you just take it as it comes and just let it go? 
I think you kind of have to. That was like you can't you can't stress about it because it's just not going to help. You can you can plan like you don't leave I don't know tarps out in a windstorm or anything, but um unfortunately you just kind of like have to take it as it comes. And that was something that I learned especially from from Jerry. He's he's a first generation farmer. Um he's been uh on that particular piece of land since the uh 80s. Mm-hmm. And he just like he everything just happens at at a bit of a, a slower pace for him in terms of like if you have to react to an issue, um, most things, if you just slow down and plan a little bit, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing is as urgent as you think it is. Um, things can still be urgent and like have to get done now, but mm-hmm. there's still there's time. So that yeah. was just a, a good a good thing to learn because it's it can be really stressful. And I know yeah. a lot of um, farmers have like whole crops destroyed every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but what helps as well is is the the business model that they are using, um, like their direct marketing. Like they they sell at um, the farmers market and to people in the community as opposed to um, selling to like feedlots or like larger production, um, places. And Mm -hmm. so that, that means that they have a connection to their community. You have, uh, you're able to be paid what the produce is actually worth, which is a, a big issue for farmers. And yeah, it's just been, um, interesting to learn about because, most farms are not financially viable these days. And we just like have to have to look for ways of making that possible. So that's kind of like a scary thing going into farming is how to, how to make it really work. Cause it's, it's got to do more than just be a lifestyle. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Cause I know that modern farming differs a lot from the old timey farmer farming yeah. that most of us have in our head. Yeah. Um, so what's your experience with um those the the outdated ideal and what's actually happening? Um see I'm I'm still like a baby fetus farmer so I <laughs> I'm not really <laughs> like aware of <laughs> all of all of the things. So like the the challenge right now is that um farms are still becoming larger and larger and more um, industrial in nature. Mm-hmm. So that includes just a very large um, equipment, um, not really uh, no, non-sustainable uh, farming practices in terms of tilling and soil health, and just like a bit of a disconnect from uh, what is actually needed uh, by the community. Like there are things that are, there are parts of the industry that are, uh, I would say propped up by, uh, government subsidies and yeah. other parts that are kind of, uh, left to the wayside. Um, but there's, so like small farms are, are nearly non-existent now. Um, your average farm, like family farm, 
mm-hmm. um, makes, I think it was like $16,000 in a year total, like oh, joint wow. income for the whole yeah. farm. Um, and that's just like not, not good. That's not possible. And I, I think it's yeah. not an issue of production. It's an issue of value. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there are places for technology in, in the food systems going forwards. Um, like I, I have a personal connection to growing food in the soil, but I know there's like hydroponics and things like that, that are becoming more, uh, more and more common and more popular these days as well. It's becoming harder for people to, uh, make a living growing food. Um, and there are ways this can be, be changed. Like there are people now who are running things like CSAs, which is community supported agriculture, which is, um, where people buy shares at the uh, beginning of a season. And then you receive like weekly boxes or deliveries of, of food. So you can do this for any, anything from vegetables to flowers, to meat, kind of eggs, whatever, yeah. whatever it is that you want. Um, and systems like that make it so people can uh, be paid upfront so they can deal with their seasonal costs. And it makes it so that um, there's a little bit of security for farmers. So kind of the idea is that it's, it really is that, that community mindset there. Mm-hmm. So people um, on a good year, your customers will get extra. And yeah. on a bad year, the farmer will be supported. Sounds like a great system. It's pretty cool. I, yeah. I, I would love to do something like that um, in the long term. So, yeah, there are there are so many different different ways of doing farming, and I'm I'm just excited to to learn about more of them because I don't I don't know all that much yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I I just think that the farms of the past, like the small family farms, the like rugged individualism that. Uh, is associated with kind of having a homestead and just like making it work. I don't think that's realistic for the future. Yeah. Um, I think people should be able to do farming as a job, be paid well to do it and either go home at the end of the day or have it as a part of a collective or be able to just fit it into their lives if that's something that they want to do. Because Mm -hmm. like, I don't know about you, but I think most of the people that I know that are the same age as me are like, not able to afford land. Yeah. Not like <laughs> it's, yeah, it's completely it's not even a thing we can think about. So yeah. like no wonder there's only two percent of the population that is doing agricultural work. Like yeah. what do you expect? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's always so much, especially living in the Canadian prairies, there's so much um talk about well supporting your farmers and supporting the people who make the grain you or grow the grain you drive past on the highway and all that stuff. But what's actually, what are they actually doing to support those people? Yeah. And, yeah, and exactly. they don't give you resources to actually do it. So for me, it's just like, Oh, support the dairy farmers of Canada on TV. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me as a 20 something who has zero money. Right. Yeah. And it might not actually be tied to you supporting those farmers. Like that ad on yeah. TV is probably having to do with big dairy. Oh, exactly. Like it's the same way, like, I don't know, on, um, uh, there's, there's this ad that I saw a while ago. It was like an A&W, A&W has this thing right now where they're like, 
Is it advertising. the no hormone thing? They're no hormones thing and they're advertising grass-fed beef. Yeah. And like the thing that people don't know is that like almost all beef is grass-fed. Like it most most cattle eat grass, but then they're finished, like their last um portion of their lives they're spent eating grain. Mm-hmm. And so most of them like grass fed, grass finished is a different thing than grass fed beef. Yeah. And I just like the problem is there's just misinformation and things like that too about like what what farming practices are and what food yeah. where it comes from and how it's made. And I think it's so important for like things like CSAs or other like small farms to be able to help be a part of that community of uh, informing people about how things are made and mm-hmm. what grows when. Like, so you're not going to be able to get a cabbage in May. Yeah. Like realistically. And there's just a good disconnect from, from what, what that means. So. Yeah. And if we had more, if we just simply had more family farms, like you were saying, then we'd actually have that community. We'd actually know where our food's coming from. We'd know what's possible and we'd know to um, uh, stick up our noses at all of those A&W ads. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're grass finished too, but I just, it's just like slightly misleading and it just grinds my gears. (laughs) Well, let's move on to a slightly happier subject then. Sure. Um, To raise our spirits a little bit before maybe we go down the rabbit hole. I'm just going to, I could, if you, I, it could be a rant. We don't need to go down that. We can rant again later if we want. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure I'll probably find other things to rant about too. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at ranting. I love it. (laughs) Um, when you first, uh, decided to do the apprenticeship what kind of farming were you interested in doing specifically uh the market garden thing has always really uh, interested me that's like definitely what's what's most uh it still is the thing that that I'm I'm like most drawn to um I also wanted to do uh laying hens as well just like eggs in a market garden felt like a really great place to start and and yeah. I I still I still like stand by that um, it's not, yeah, not that I'm necessarily against um, responsible, like, animal raising practices and eating meat and having that as a, a thing that's available to people. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't know yet if it's uh, something that I want in a farm. And I yeah. thought going to a farm that had um, animals would help me figure that out. And it kind of did and it kind of didn't. <laughs> so... <laughs> Still chickens, get still garden. Beyond that, I'll just figure it out as I go. <laughs> as a fellow vegetarian, I totally get them. Like, I don't care if other people eat meat, but how do I feel about being around that type of work? I don't know totally. how I would do either. Yeah. Yeah. And and being on the farm, it's like a zero mile diet in that case. So I definitely like eat meat on the farm there. Mm-hmm. But I, I still don't in the city. Yeah. Like it's here. also different, like what you said, you know where your food comes from. It's a bit different. Yeah, totally. And I, I think like where where I'm kind of landing now is that I am not opposed to eating meat even myself. Um but I think that if 
more people just knew where it came from and ate a little less. Mm-hmm. That would be would be like better off. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> That's another rabbit hole we don't need to jump no, all the way down. I don't need to, <laughs> but it's just like it's just in in interesting to to be a part of, um, mm-hmm. and just it just definitely like changed my opinions a little bit, which was uh, unexpected. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have another weather question. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so obviously you have your chores that you have to do every day. Obviously, animals yeah. need to be fed and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, when the weather is absolutely awful, are there specific things that you try to do around the farm, like maybe maintenance? Yeah. This is when great weather. Yeah, yeah. We try to do maintenance when it's rainy. Things that are maybe a little more indoors. Um, I somehow it was a really rainy June mm-hmm. this year, and I. Somehow ended up filling a lot of holes with gravel in the rain, which is not, <laughs> I would say, the best activity for rainy days. But it was like mostly rainy days, so you didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of try to, but you end up out in the rain anyways. It might end up just being a bit of a light duty day. That's the thing about farming as well, is that like when it's nice out, you do the jobs. Mm-hmm. When it's a little less nice out, you can maybe have that as as a, just like a light, a lighter day you have to do a little less mm-hmm. which is kind of nice just like sit inside and drink tea for an extra hour instead of uh i don't know trying to do much of anything in the rain yeah apart from being go 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 all the time and getting yeah. soaking wet yeah exactly so and we still just have like big waterproof onesies that you put on and just yeah deal with it if you have to if and you're really honestly, feeling it yeah it's it's not not as bad as you expect once you get out there as long as you're wearing like a a sweater underneath and you're mm-hmm. good to go. And I imagine that on the rainy bad weather days, it's also great for more personal time than you might otherwise have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it, it's a, I mean, very weather dependent job in general. It's the same way like in the winter time, that's when you need to do your projects that's the time for maintenance that's the time for I don't know just whatever it is you want to do mm-hmm. but yeah like same thing in the summer isn't there's like a saying about making hay when the sun shines yeah. it's that's <laughs> exactly what it is it's it's there for a reason <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so on that note let's jump into um what you would do on those rainy days what you do during the winter you're uh, personal time and arts and oh yeah sewing and all of that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> en- enlighten me how does this stuff um all fit into the hard working farming life since you already have so much going on uh yeah so I guess I am what you would call a textile enthusiast <laughs> I do a lot of uh different um I guess textile arts whether that's yeah, sewing or knitting, spinning, weaving, whatever. Um, and in the summertime, there's like almost almost no time for things like that. So mm-hmm. it's ended up being that in in the winter now, I just like make things obsessively <laughs> whenever I can. <laughs> so totally. I'm still working a little bit. Like I'm in Edmonton now. So I'm going back up to the farm in April. So I'm kind of like, until then, I'm able to to do do things like that. But 
it's just kind of, uh, yeah, different seasons for, for different things. So right now I'm on a, a sewing kick. So I'm uh, just finished designing my first pattern. I made a crossback apron pattern for uh, a friend. I made one for her birthday. And it's just like, there's just so many cool things to do and not enough, not enough time for any of them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's kind of like where, where I've been at the last, the last while. That sounds so cool. Being able to make your own things and just anything that comes into your mind, you can actually try to make it. It's just so cool. Yeah. And it might not work out. And I think this is something that kind of comes from farming as well as like, you just have to try. Yeah. And it'll probably work out better than you think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so just like to go for it. And that's something that, um, it's pretty cool to be able to do. Uh, I, the one challenge with it is that, um, I, I think this is something that probably a lot of people can relate to, but I have, uh, this push and pull between, uh, wanting to do art or music or things like that. And, wanting to make money from them <laughs> yeah, or just like make totally. money in general. Um, I mean, just like, I, I love doing these things. And honestly, in my like ideal world, I would spend like six months knitting this beautiful fine sweater and just give it away. Yeah. And the problem is that people like the value of that, if you were to look at like, so $20 an hour, for the number of hours it would take me to actually make that thing. Like no one yeah. can afford that. <laughs> like realistically. And like it's been a like the real the real challenge of it is trying to assign value to things and to make it worth my time to do it, but have it not like lose its magic as well. Because totally. I, I do sell like I mend clothes um for people a lot. And I do like small sewing projects and things like that um, in the winter for, for added income. Mm -hmm. But like the big intricate fun projects are things that are just like better as, as gifts. And I am still figuring out what exactly that, that means. Um, and I, I don't know if you can like relate to this as well, just like being a, a musician and and things like that, just like trying to, the, the value and what I find is taken away when I have to try and monetize it. I agree with that completely. There's like, even when we were talking about the farming value is the hardest thing. Cause we know what the value it brings to the community, to totally. the people working there. You just want to give it away. <laughs> yeah. And with art and music too, we're like, well, I have this beautiful song. It's done. I want the world to listen to it. It's for the listener, but I have to be paid for it in some capacity so that I can continue yeah. to do it and it's a difficult thing because you don't want to lessen its intrinsic value by putting this arbitrary monetary value on it I suppose mm -hmm. right like it it kind of cheapens it like if yeah like I have this sweater recently that I made that yeah it took me it took me eight months I worked on it on and off but it's done now and it's beautiful and if I were to sell it I'd have to put a price tag on it I'd be like what sell it for two hundred dollars yeah and like, even if you tell somebody that you worked on it for eight months, like they wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. So it's definitely a challenge of like how, how to, yeah, keep, keep value in things. And I think part of that maybe comes from doing things like, like trading and just finding other ways of, of interacting with people and yeah. sharing skills that don't have to do with 
with money all the time because I don't think it's mm-hmm. necessarily a realistic um, value system for everything. Even though, like, it is the value system that we have all societally agreed to. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I am staunchly anti-capitalist, so <laughs> I, I much Can't prefer relate. the idea of just sharing, just sharing with people and having them share with you, and just like gifting each other things and oh, technically so you're repaying each other, but it doesn't it's, feel like that. It feels so, so much good. more wholesome. Like it's the same thing. It's why we share food, like. Yeah. Colin and I have, well, not this year, but usually have a big harvest party at the end of the season. And we just like bring all of the good foods we've that we've made, um, all the preserves. We just like get a bunch of friends together and ask them to bring things that they've made. And you just like have a, have a great party. And it's, it's just like something that I miss. Yeah, I follow your Instagram <laughs> stories and everything on there looks so delicious. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, we put a, a lot of it's it's like the thing that that Colin and I do together, like even if like at the end of the day, just come home and make some good food and it's just like it's the best part of our day. Mhm. Uh since you've started doing um farming and you've and you're wanting to incorporate it more into your life, have you seen a change in um how you're expressing yourself artistically? Yeah. I mean, so I uh kind of haven't played much music since which I'm I'm just like having some some mixed feelings around like I um graduated from uh, McEwen University for uh performance in flute um and I just like don't have a whole lot of motivation for music mm-hmm. right now I still I still play for fun a little bit um but it's just like it's partially like a music school hangover, I think. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm a which is, into that one too. Yeah, which is like long. It feels long and and is not not my favorite thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like having a whole lot of feelings around just what music school was, um, and just like that that the the toxic parts of that experience and how they. Uh, screwed up my creativity a little bit Um, but I I still play flute mostly like Celtic music now so I try to do that like at least once a week even when I'm farming Mm -hmm. um, because it's hard to find a lot of time for much of anything yeah um but a lot of my creativity during the growing season comes from uh daily walks in the forest actually um i had my dog out there and he had to go for a walk because he he unfortunately is like not a great farm dog (laughs) he's theoretically could be he's a red healer which they're supposed to be herding dogs but unfortunately those herding instincts haven't been honed so that just means he likes (laughs) to chase things (laughs) yeah (laughs) not ideal so we'd have to go for for a good long walk in the forest at the end of the day and i would just like pick plants for tea and look at trees and I started uh foraging for mushrooms this year as well which is really fun a new thing and I just found that that was something that still 
like fed my creativity and it's ended up being that I have decided when I go back to the farm this year, um, we're doing kind of like an apprenticeship 2.0 thing where Mm -hmm. um, I still work for them, but I will also be growing my own things on the side. And I decided to go with flowers. So I'll be growing drying flowers so that I can make things in the wintertime. So that's going to be a creative outlet this year. Again, not during the growing season because it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to do yeah. fresh flowers. It's just not first year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it means that this year I'm going to have more excuses for more walks because <laughs> it's work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I just get to go like pick nice flowers and leaves and fun looking sticks and rocks and feathers and turn them into pretty wreaths and arrangements, which sounds pretty great to me. That sounds amazing. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's incorporating so many skills oh. to do something that like feeds your soul, but also is like a product that you, you can build yourself up with professionally. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it seems like it maybe could be something that I can combine arts and farming together in, in a yeah. way that I am not going to feel like I'm selling my soul. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, well, we'll see. I I have high hopes, especially my little baby eucalyptus plants just came up and I'm just feeling like so ready to go for that. Yeah. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Can we talk about mushroom foraging some more? Sure. <laughs> how the heck do you learn how to do that without accidentally poisoning yourself and everybody that you love? <laughs> yes. These are good questions. Um, so I start small and safe. (laughs) Um, The nice thing is there are some folks around the farm who have some knowledge or like quite a bit of knowledge about, about mushroom foraging. So I don't eat something until I have verification from somebody who knows what it is. Yeah. Cause um, I have the benefit of uh, in a previous lifetime, I went to the U of A for um, environmental conservation Mm. and I only did like a year of that, but then I worked on a forestry project where I did understory vegetation surveys. So I just had to like look at plants all day. Mm-hmm. And so you learn about how to identify things through that very effectively. So I have a slight advantage when it comes to like knowing how to describe and look at something and differentiate it from something else. Yeah. So yeah. in that way, that helped with mushroom foraging. So I stick to like four varieties still that I know. So far, I pick like, uh, they're called lion's mane, like herisium. They're just like these really fun, hairy looking guys that are my favorite tasting. They're like, they taste kind of like chicken. I don't know. They're interesting. (laughs) Um, And then bolites and oyster mushrooms and morels. And it's just like, that's as far as I got this year. Maybe I'll try some other ones next year but are they really plentiful in that area uh yeah i mean they're different things that grow well in different places like microclimate wise Mm -hmm. i found a lot of herisium this year i like dried some i uh fried in butter and froze some and it, it 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 just really depends like everything like plants they have different um 
requirements for life. Mm-hmm. So uh, like the bolites, they grow more in coniferous areas, which is not really the kind of forest that I was in. So I didn't find that many of them. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, the heresium grows on uh, like fallen poplar. And there are lots of those. <laughs> yeah. So I I found found plenty of them. So, and it just like depends, you know, different times of year, different rainy conditions. Like you'd have a rainy week and then things warm up a little bit. And then you've got oyster mushrooms everywhere. Yeah. And so I just get to learn about things like that too. And when you're out every day, you just kind of get to learn, learn what's going on. And it's That's fascinating. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It just brings me a lot of joy and is a little grounding, um, yeah, so it was a great time. And I have a hard time stopping. I'd be like, I'm just going to go for an hour. And then it'd be like getting dark. And I'd be like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm late for dinner. But I would always come back with lots of nice things. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So what has been your favorite and your least favorite um, aspects of this new life path that you're on? I think my my favorite part is uh, getting to. I really am enjoying getting to uh, connect more with the natural world and all different techniques and traditions of farming, um, and just growing things. Um, I'm also my my dad has this belief that he shares with me and it's something that has really uh, shaped my, my life is that you learn about who you are through doing projects and things that make you uncomfortable and you can like change who you are in by like challenging yourself with new, new projects and things. So farming, farming is, is that for me now? (laughs) There's just a lot of skills and a lot of things that I have to learn. And I, uh, I I love learning new things, so that's a great opportunity for that. Um, my least favorite thing might just be that I sometimes I'm gonna have to shovel gravel into holes in the rain. <laughs> 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 oh, feels good when you're done, though. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a good back workout. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that and just like uh, as a farmer, you have to do everything, mm-hmm. and I just like I feel deep in my soul that there is a better way in terms of working with people. Like I would love to farm with people, and I don't know what it exactly looks like. I don't just need to be like a communal living thing. Even I just like I just want. I don't want to do it alone. I don't yeah. think that's. I don't think it's realistic and I yeah so I think I'm I'm scared of the the isolation that comes with it when you're just so busy that you can't see anybody (laughs) yeah totally yeah so I that's something that I I know that there's another way of doing it I don't know what that is yet I'm I'm hunting for that now and I Mm -hmm. hope to figure it out before I have to try and do it by myself (laughs) makes a lot of sense yeah yeah. Good to have a little bit of a plan. I know we said that you can't plan life, but, but having can, a bit of a plan is smart. <laughs> you can plan a little bit. I was a ma- little bit. exaggerating maybe a little bit. 
<laughs> you need to be open to the possibilities as they come, I think is the main thing. Totally. Yeah. I've got one last question for you. Sure. What advice do you have for anybody who has been thinking about maybe doing their own large gardening project or has wanted to take the leap into doing some kind of farming? Hmm. Um, my advice would be to seek out community. Um, join something like Young Agrarians. Find some, just find people that you can learn from. Um, it's something that I think is hard to learn from a book. And just like, just like, go for it. <laughs> just just go for it because like the worst thing that's going to happen is that you're going to have really small carrots (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's the only downside really yeah like you might just not grow great carrots you might end up having things eat all your brassicas and you can just try again next time it's it's a very especially when you're just getting started if you're just like starting out with a, a garden of your own um or like a little community plot or in a friend's backyard. Um, You can just like, just start. (laughs) (laughs) Just Um, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for people who are looking to, to get into farming. um, Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, something like young agrarians, especially when you're a first generation farmer, like you need people, have people to help you along the way and to, uh, yeah, call when when you need a hand. You need community, you need mentors. Um, it's going to be so much easier if you have. Beautiful answer. I'm going to go start a garden right now in January. Please do. <laughs> I, I started my eucalyptus already. If you want to grow eucalyptus, now's the time. <laughs> Everything else, I, I don't will. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for this interview. It was absolutely fascinating. I knew nothing about farming, so... <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, go. You're welcome out to the farm anytime. I know it's a ways away, but. No, that would be awesome. It's a neat place to be. Okay, so. listeners, we're all going to get on a school bus and head up to the homestead. Come up to, yeah, please do. I mean, we've got <laughs> space for tents at least. <laughs> Sick. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josephine. Thank you so much, dear listeners, for tuning into this episode. Um, take care of yourselves this week. Go start a eucalyptus garden. And uh, yeah, have a good week, everybody. <laughs>